Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand-up dates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymcclain. Check out stand-up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, everybody, uh, we're back. <laughs> we're back. I have another one of these uh, solo. I think I want to do these every week. I want to do a solo podcast like this every week because I think that sometimes there's shit that I want to talk about that the guest doesn't necessarily want to talk about. Uh, and I don't want to do the thing where the podcasters do where they have like a 45 minute intro to a 45 minute interview. That's pretty annoying. Do we all agree on that? Can we all agree that a, uh, an intro to a podcast that's longer than the interview is annoying? Um, so yeah, this is just like low effort on my part. Obviously it's in my living room on my uh my classic Costco sectional couch that looks like the more that I uh the more I don't know if it's the couch or the dog but it feels like we're going to need a new couch like every 2 years if we keep going this uh this route whether it's Costco or whatever uh if you're listening to this as it comes out I am going to be on May 1st which will be when this comes out, I think this, the following Saturday, I'm at the Chalet Theater with Gabriel Rutledge. Please come out. It's a door deal. We are, uh, we're very stressed out about the results. And the venue isn't posting about it, by the way. They're ashamed of us. They've had, like, success with comedy since comedy came back in Washington State. Um, and yet, not posting about our event for some reason. So hopefully that'll change. Uh, May 1st, tickets still available. <laughs> Go to chaletheater.com. Uh, if you live close to Enumclaw, whatever, it's limited capacity. I think it's 50% capacity right now. So it's relatively safe. Gabe is the best comic in the Northwest. Uh, yeah, please come check that out. We're spending money on ads and they are not working. By the way, if you have any tips... <laughs> If, if there's some brilliant digital marketer out there that's listening to this podcast and hasn't reached out to save me, uh, please do for fuck's sake. Um, that's whiskey. It's not whiskey. It's coffee. I just want to make that clear in case like, uh, my day job sees this video for some reason and wonders what I'm doing on my lunch break. It's not drinking whiskey out of a coffee cup. Uh, so the, I did a couple shows, or I did a show this week that I want to talk about, but I want to talk about 
There's this thing going on in the NFL that I don't understand. Sometimes I just don't understand it. For like, I don't know, five years, I tried to do be one of the guys. I don't, does that, I don't know if everyone knows this about me that listens to this podcast, but for, for uh, God, I guess like seven years, I ran my own sports blog. I wrote for Bleacher Report when it was like all citizen journalists. I was uh, the first featured columnist at Bleacher Report for both the Mariners and the Seahawks. And then I quit Bleacher Report right before they started paying people. Uh, I don't know if I would have gotten paid. But I was trying to be a sports journalist at one point. And one of the things that I found compelling that I would do was almost like a Zen practice. It was like my Zen garden was... In between the NFL season and the draft, I would do mock drafts every day. Try to think through the scenarios of if this guy goes here, then whatever. I was never particularly accurate. Almost nobody is particularly accurate. In fact, what I learned was even some of the people who I thought were like the smartest uh, smartest draft prognosticators, even they only really were accurate if they had access to, like, NFL GMs. Otherwise, not very accurate. Like, Mel Kuyper. People shit on Mel Kuyper. But Mel Kuyper talks to to NFL GMs. So most of the time, Mel Kuyper will get, like, most of the top ten picks right. Where I might want to take a swing because I'm trying to be a compelling and interesting mock draft prognosticator and Mel Kuyper just has the information. <laughs> he doesn't have to. He's not. I was doing clickbait before it was cool, I guess is ultimately what I'm saying. Um, I, but I love the draft. I love the NFL draft. It's like my favorite part. I, this is like so dorky, but the way my favorite part of Madden is the NFL draft. I trade for draft picks constantly. I'm constantly churning my roster. This is my move. I'll get a quarterback that I like and I will get a receiver that I like and I try to make them better than Jerry Rice and Joe Montana or Steve Young and Joe Montana or Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman or you name it. You name a dynamic, iconic duo of receiver and quarterback and I'm trying to beat those guys. Uh, and I'm not, I'm also like not great at evaluating NFL talent. What I'm saying is I used to devote a lot of time to this and I was no, not great at it. There was no reason nobody was asking me to do this. I actually did get paid to write a little bit. I'm being slightly self-deprecating. I've made way more money doing comedy though. If that's any indication of how mediocre a writer I was. Um, so I really enjoyed this. Here's here's the quarterbacks I've hit on. Uh, I was right on Kirk Cousins. I wanted Kirk Cousins. When the Seahawks drafted Russell Wilson, who I was very wrong on, by the way, uh, I was right on him. Uh, I wanted Kirk Cousins. Not to say that he's better than Russell Wilson, but he has been a quality starter in the NFL for a long time. Um, I was wrong on Russell Wilson, I was wrong on RG3, which is to say uh, that I thought he... I, I didn't think that RG3 was going to be as good as he was. He ended up getting injured, which I, I kind of suspected might happen. I was right on 
Lamar Jackson. I was wrong on Byron Lefwich. I loved Byron Lefwich in college. Curtis Painter was this dude that played at Purdue that I thought was going to be a starter in the NFL, and he never was. Um, boy, who else? Uh, Jevin Sneed was he played at Ole Miss and he was uh this guy that I thought was going to be like he was like in the conversation before the season for number one overall pick I think he might have passed away actually I think he did I think he did pass away from something like liver failure or something like that um I really liked him played in a pro style offense was in the conversation for number one overall pick and then just had like a disastrous senior season and ended up going undrafted uh vince young the, the other thing about this is how do you evaluate is vince young a good or bad pick i mean he he had like a couple good years andrew luck i was right on but so was everybody else i thought andrew luck was going to be great and andrew luck was great um anyway the point is i was doing this thing that i wasn't even very good at i used to do it all the time but it's the part in in madden my favorite part is the draft uh I love the transactional part of sports. I find it very interesting. I find the the Major League Baseball offseason very interesting. The NBA draft, I used to do the same thing. I love the NBA draft. One of the first things I wrote at Bleacher Report was about uh, the Sonics draft. I was must have been, maybe it was the year they drafted Russell Westbrook, or it might have been before that. Um, and Russell Westbrook obviously ended up not playing for the Sonics. He played for the Thunder. Uh, so we're approaching the NFL draft. And I look at these guys. So the, this is a, a compelling year because there's no combine. There's no NFL combine. It's exclusively pro days. Uh, if you look at historical measurements, these college programs lie at the pro days. Everybody runs like 0.2 seconds faster on the 40 yard dash at their, I mean, they're, they create a scenario where the player looks a lot better than at the combine, where it's theoretically like agnostic to the player's future, right? The college wants the player to succeed. So they may have a timer that starts uh, a little bit later than the, the combine timer or the, the, especially people who like hand timing versus watching the video. Um, so that's one reason why it's compelling. The other reason is a lot of these guys didn't even play full seasons. Trey Lance, who's one of the top quarterback prospects has 17 starts in his career. Only one of them happened in 2020. Uh, so there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of confusion. There's probably more volatility in this draft than there's ever been. There's guys who, even if their team played a lot of games, they sat out for the season. They opted out. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, with this draft. And there's five quarterbacks at the top of this draft that are considered like basically lock first-round picks. There might actually be six or seven uh, first-round quarterbacks because the quarterback position is just so valuable in the NFL right now. So those quarterbacks are Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, Justin Fields from Ohio State, Zach Wilson from BYU, Mac Jones from Alabama, Trey Lance from North Dakota, Dakota State. And there's a couple more that might, but we don't need to talk about those guys. 
my favorite prospect, which might be the kiss of death for him, but my favorite prospect in this year's draft is Justin Fields. He played in the college football playoff. He played against uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I, one thing that's important to re- recognize is Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields may look very different because the defense they're going against is different, right? So in that game, Justin Fields looked like a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, that might be because Ohio State's defense is better than Clemson's defense, and so they made Trevor Lawrence look worse. That might be the reason. However, I had a moment early in the season where I saw Justin Fields, and I saw an Ohio State game, and I was like, who is this fucking quarterback? He is so good. Who is this guy? And then I looked him up just to see. I'm like, how close am I in evaluation to the rest of the league? Like, what does the rest of the league think about Justin Fields? And most of the mock drafts, but rest of the league, rest of the world, these aren't, I'm not talking to team officials, right? But most of the mock drafts at that time had Justin Fields as the second quarterback to come off the board. In a lot of cases, the second overall pick. I th- I might have talked about him on this podcast before. If not, I'm probably on a the I think now defunct. I think it's we could call it officially defunct when we haven't recorded in a month. But the high and inside podcast, I might have talked about it on there. Justin Fields is my favorite prospect. He's at his pro day, so a sign of the caveats that you would for for a pro day. He ran the second fastest. If it were at the combine, it would be the second fastest 40-yard dash time by a quarterback ever. Again, put the buffer on because Ohio State probably wants to make him look faster. He's 6'3". He's got an accurate cannon for an arm. He might have the best arm, especially throwing on the run. They're so casual, these like highlight packages that they show on ESPN. They're so casual about how amazing it is that, like, throwing against his body, running to his left, Justin Fields is launching a ball 65 yards with ease, with a flick of the wrist. I'm trying to think if I'm trying to think if I've seen anyone with like Jamarcus Russell had a pretty strong arm. Jameis Winston had a pretty strong arm. Um Charlie Batch, do you guys remember Charlie Batch? He there was a rumor that if Charlie Batch stood on the goal line, he could hit the other goal line with a ball, which is pretty goddamn impressive. Um, Ryan Mallett, I think, had... What's interesting to me is, and Jameis Winston is like a good example of this, a lot of these guys could just, with no mechanical training, go throw like 92, throw a baseball 92. Uh, and I would love to see what Justin Fields could do with a baseball. Yeah, and then the dude's mobile. So what I don't understand is how. What am I missing? I don't see it out of a. And I guess this is the deal: is this is why these coaches uh, get paid a lot of money, these coaches and GMs, and why quarterbacks have to be just absolute psychopaths and they can't get by on athletic ability. This is why guys like uh, Ryan Leaf, Johnny Manziel, Jamarcus Russell. Why these guys struggle is because you have to have that like 18 hours a day watching film shit. Do you remember when this is how much film you have to watch as an NFL quarterback? 
when the Chargers moved to Los Angeles, Philip Rivers stayed in San Diego and commuted in the back of like a like a panel van to San Diego every day. And that drive, which I think is like uh it's like a ninety minute drive, so three hours of commute a day. He couldn't miss out on those three hours of film watching and it, they installed a film room in the back of the panel van or whatever that he was in. So Justin Fields is the best, in my opinion, is the best uh, prospect, and I have been both right and wrong. This should mean nothing, but Justin Fields is the guy that I'm watching. Also, he will have zero impact on my team because uh, I'm a Seahawks fan, and they don't have a pick in the first round. They only have three picks in the draft. I think that's still true. They'll probably end up with more, but it's as a Seahawks fan, their first-round picks have been almost exclusively disappointing. And their later round picks are oftentimes you're like, who the hell is that guy? And then they turn out to be pretty good. The th the funny thing about that is the first round picks are disappointing, not in their performance exclusively, but also like we could have all seen this coming. Uh, it started with, what, who did they draft first the first time? It was uh, Russell Okung and... Earl Thomas, almost an Earl Watson, uh, Earl Thomas, who Okung was like an incredibly predictable pick. I remember being a little bit uh, disappointed that they drafted Earl Thomas because I thought he was going to be too small to be a a great safety in the NFL, but I was wrong, obviously. Again, again, I was wrong. Again, I fucking swung and missed, okay? Uh, so... Justin Fields is like the he's he's now my new Seahawks. I just care about Justin Fields. There's other guys. I like uh, Jalen Waddle from he's a receiver from Alabama. I'll be interested to see where he goes, but I'm gonna watch the whole thing probably. I think I think actually one of the nights is May first when Gabe and I are in uh, or in Enumclaw, but it's like the fifth, sixth, and seventh round or whatever. Okay, so let's talk about comedy. Last week, I talked about the anniversary show. This week, I did a roast. Uh, it's Roastamania, also at Tacoma Comedy Club. I think I think they're on social media at Roastamania. Everything's at Roastamania. Uh, roast shows are um, they're not universally loved among comics. I think that I am a pretty good roast joke writer, but there's a couple problems with roasts. This is why comics are mixed on roasts, is you're going to be mean to people. So I have hurt people's feelings at roasts. I've never actually gotten my feelings hurt. This is the first time I've done a roast where when someone asked if something is off limits, I actually had an answer that wasn't no. I have no nerve endings. Please, please make me feel something. Um, yeah, I I've I realized that like I would if somebody made like a dirty joke about my daughter who's like twenty months old, we wouldn't be joking anymore. I I mean I we're we would have a problem, and. Uh, it's the first time I've ever had, like, I love my wife and I, uh, but my wife 
Also, if someone made a joke that was like insulting my wife, that would be a problem. But I'm not like, it's not to me like you can't put my wife in a joke, right? Like you can make a joke where I am the butt of the joke. I'm the fucking subject of the roast, right? Make me the subject of the roast. That's what it is. By the way, just so you know, this isn't ending with some controversy where someone made a joke about my daughter. That absolutely didn't happen. So mom, if you're listening, uh, you don't have to worry about that. That's the other thing too, by the way, is like I have, I might have my wife in the audience. I might have my mom or my family members in the audience. They don't want to hear that shit about, they don't mind you shitting on me, calling me fat, whatever. Uh, I got called an alcoholic, which is uh, funny to me. Uh, that's That's all fun. That's all fun and games. It's good. But like, my wife and my daughter didn't sign up for being related to a comedian, right? So, uh, I mean, technically, I did comedy before I got married, but we, my wife and I, had been together for a long time, uh, where I was not a comedian, and she doesn't do comedy, so she shouldn't have to face insults. So the point is, I actually think I'm one of the least sensitive people about about uh roast topics so with varying degrees of sensitivity come varying reactions and varying desires to do roasts i have never had my feelings hurt at a roast but i have hurt other people's feelings last year there was a in the brief stretch where where uh, comedy was going on in washington state which was i think just june like just the month of june of 2020 and then February, January, February also, but before the pandemic. Anyway, there was a roast in Seattle where one comedian wrote a bunch of jokes and the other comedian didn't write a bunch of jokes, didn't write any jokes. It was the third time they had roasted each other and that had been the case all three times. And so the nature of roasts in a small comedy scene is that either the jokes are for the other comics because they know all the comics involved or they have to be, if the audience is going to connect with them, they have to be like surface level. You know what? I'm going to make sure I'm recording. Oh, thank God. They have to be surface level jokes that everybody can understand. So white comic versus black comic there is going to be racial material because the most obvious thing about those two people to the audience is that one is white and one is black. Now, one of them might be fat. One of them might be stupid. One of them might be uh, gay. Whatever the characteristics are that make you different, that is what is going to get roasted, okay? And so... With that in mind, I think most people go into the roast knowing that it could be, it could get touchy, right? And so, uh, last night though, I roasted a Seattle comic. His name is Barunji. He's from Uganda. Very funny comic. Very funny roast jokes. And it was like one of those cool moments, I think, in comedy where... We, I mean, pretty fucking harsh stuff was said. I'll probably post one of the jokes on on YouTube and TikTok and uh, whatever, Twitter, 
Facebook, all that shit. But some of them are like, I think they're funny. And I think in the spirit of a roast, they are completely appropriate. But they're like, fuck, you're like, I don't know if I want this to be what a sensitive uh, Capitol Hill booker sees. But, and by that, I mean, not that I don't know. What I mean is I don't want that to be what they see because Barunji and I are both laughing. We hugged after. We're totally fine. Maybe actually bonded even closer. It was so fun. We had so much fun. Uh, I don't think everybody walking into that room, I think there's like, I don't think every whatever woke comedy booker is going to give the roast the benefit of the doubt. And they're also, by the way, they're not going to look at, so basically this is what I went into the, with the mentality of is, uh, is, uh, I'm roasting the one black dude on the show, this guy from Uganda. The only thing that's going to, that the crowd is going to respond to that I can write because they don't know who Burundi is. They don't know who I am. The only thing is going to be like appearance based stuff generally that's why at roast you'll see a lot of fat jokes you see yeah he did fat jokes Barunji did fat jokes and great by the way i've done roasts where i write with the person going against me because we just want the show to be good that's the most important thing to me is make the show good so i knew going in and it's important to have this mindset i think for comedy competitions is uh i knew i wasn't gonna win i knew that if he did decent if we did the same level, which I think is actually what ended up happening, I knew I was going to lose. I think even if he did decent, I was writing some jokes that were harsh, that were going to be tough tough for guilty white people to to cheer for at the end. I got a couple like, oh, wow, like in the crowd. Uh, and so did he, by the way. There was a couple where I was like, you guys are that sensitive that this dude from Uganda can't make a fat joke? Are you kidding me? Um, but overall they were great sports. I mean, it was like, uh, it completely crushed and it was fun. There's been a couple of those moments in the pandemic and maybe it's just because I appreciate the opportunity to do comedy more than I ever have, but that it felt like extremely special. Uh, I think I've talked on here about the backyard shows. I did some backyard shows last summer they were just magical. They were just so, so, so fun. And then I had that uh, 10th anniversary show last week where it was like, you know, most of the region's best comedians were in one green room. Like, I'm never, you know, I'm sitting there going like, this is never going to happen again. A bunch of these people will quit. Several will commit suicide. Uh, the Some of us will be successful. Probably not me. It's just never going to happen that those 10 people that were on that show are in the same green room again. And it's pretty cool. Uh, this felt like one of those magical, like everything that we did for the roast was hitting. Uh, there were a couple points where I think that the crowd was like, okay, you're going a little hard on. I also wrote jokes in a way because I wrote like, 15 jokes and i wanted to tell them all and we only were allowed five jokes so i would like cram them together i'm like this joke can go with this joke as the second part of it 
and it was just it was so fun and uh uh I also realized something which is since comedy has been back in Washington state at Tacoma Comedy Club I have done one master debater show which is my show I think the next one we have on the calendar is June 13th uh I did eight shows emceeing for uh, Damon Wayans Jr. I featured for Andrew Rivers. I think I did. I've done three open mics. I did uh, a feature weekend with Chris Porter, and now Roastamania. And I've been doing this joke. Uh, I call it ass eating revolution which is just so funny to me. I was talking about this in the green room, but and I talked about it on this podcast where I read the DMX lyrics. Like, It's so funny to me that if I were eulogized, probably the best bit I've written to this point is called Ass-Eating Revolution. And I've loved telling it, and something happened. Something has happened with this joke, and I can't define what it is, but it's not doing as great. It like hit this massive peak and then it's fallen off a cliff. And my worry, my wonder is, has the audience all seen this joke? Has like a lot of the audience already seen this joke and they're not, the misdirects aren't as charming because they know what's coming. Yesterday, I believe in the audience, there was somebody saying my punchlines. I heard someone saying my punchlines and I was like, oh, well, this is. This is not helping. <laughs> I don't know if they were trying to do it to help or if they were doing it as like, yeah, I know what's coming, motherfucker. Write something new because I feel that way all the time. Um. Okay, well, I think this is a good spot to end it uh, on not a funny part, really. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else at the Casey McLean. Uh, please check out my YouTube channel, subscribe. All I want to do is get it to a hundred subscribers so I can, hundred subscribers so I can get my own, uh, URL. It is pathetic how many people subscribe to it right now. So please do that. Even if you don't watch it on YouTube, if you have a Gmail account, log into your Gmail account, go to YouTube, hit subscribe. Uh, please check out dkcmcclain.com for other stand updates that I might not have mentioned here. Gabe and I are in uh, in Coeur d'Alene, June 4th and 5th. I'm going to be, uh, at some point, I will be headlining Spokane Comedy Club for one night. And then in uh, August, I'm going to be at uh, Skyline Comedy Club in Wisconsin trying to record an EP and headlining out there selling shirts and shit. So thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon.